Hi, and welcome back to NFL Game Time Podcast with their hosts. I'm Alex Rubinson. And I'm Shai Dweck. The NFL playoffs are upon us as Wild Card Weekend is just a couple days away. We are going to break down each and every game, along with covering the hire of new Texans general manager Nick Casario. We have a lot to get to. So let's start right up, because it's... Game time. Game time. So, Shai, I will turn it over to you now. What are we starting off the day with? Yeah, you said it, Alex. Um, we will obviously want to get into that full week of exciting wild card action. But first, let's talk about what's going down in Houston. They have hired their general manager of the future, Nick Casario. What do you think about this hire, Alex? Well, it takes me back to 2019. And for those of you who don't remember or don't know, the Texans, when they had a GM vacancy in 2019, were attempting to bring in Casario for at least an interview. And at the time, it looked like that interview had promise and that he would potentially end up becoming the general manager of the Houston Texans. But the New England Patriots had the authority to decline such a request, and they used that power to do so. So Casario stayed with the Patriots at the time. The Texans elevated Bill O'Brien to general manager. We all, we all know how that played out. But, I mean, look, this has obviously been the Texans guy. Specifically, it seems like J- J- Jack Easterby, his guy for a long time. And I think, you know, you have your guy, you have a conviction about, you know, a certain personnel guy or a coach. You go after that. You go after that conviction. So, this will definitely be interesting. I think there are a lot of, I think, mixed reviews about this because, you know, we just saw Bill O'Brien and how ugly it ended, and he was from the Patriots tree. And just because you hire someone and it doesn't work out from one coaching tree or one front office tree doesn't mean you go back to that. But this, uh, you know, some people are worried, you know, the Texans, they need someone new, a breath of fresh air, not the same old, same old from the Patriots organization. Patriots, obviously, their drafting has not been superb as of late. But the Patriots still have a first-class organization and have really done a good job of having sustained success, which is obviously the prime, the what you want in the NFL is to have that sustained success. And the Patriots are the model organization over the last few years. He's, uh, excuse me, Casario has worked in that organization I believe for the better part of 20 years. So he is a veteran. He knows what he's doing. He's the right-hand man to Bill Belichick as he has now moved on and become the general manager of the Houston Texans. As now the Texans will focus their search on a head coach. Some people were you know, already making the connection of a possible Josh McDaniels-Nick Casario pairing. That rumor has been shot down. But we will see. So, shall I turn over to you? Do you have any thoughts on the Texans' new general manager? Yeah, the things I want to quickly touch on is, yeah, the question, as you said, is how confident do you feel um, in his drafting ability? Because with, you know, the limited draft assets, obviously from those trades of the Dolphins, you know, they have very limited draft capital going forward. So they have to hit on the on these picks in the mid-rounds. They can't afford a lot of swing and misses. So this is where you need, you know, a guy to really hit and and. Honestly, I don't know how confident you are, given that the Patriots' drafting of late has not been superb. But then, you know, you can't really argue with the other side of it. It's Bill Belichick. 
you know, and it's that winning culture that they've developed there in New England. And that's what they're trying to instill in this Houston Texans um, organization. You, you have to kind of completely remake that culture. And I'll say this. Some of the Patriots' prized picks, you know, first round, second round, they haven't been great. But they've also had some nice hits in the mid to later rounds. Also, we all know Bill Belichick and the Patriots have been famous for trading back and accumulating picks, accumulating assets. Houston almost has no assets right now in terms of draft picks and cap flexibility. So I do think trading back, especially right now if you're a Texans fan, could be very enticing and something that Nick Casario has a lot of experience doing in New England. Definitely. And quickly just to touch on, you know, take a couple minutes to touch on those Deshaun Watson rumors, Alex, um, about him wanting out of the Houston Texans after just signing a massive extension. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think there's any truth to those rumors? And how do you think those are going to play out? Is there frustration on Deshaun Watson's side? I would say probably, but it's I'd be absolutely stunned if something happened within the net with this off season or anywhere within the next few years. I don't Deshaun Watson isn't going anywhere for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I agree, Alex. I think you understand the frustration. Not a good, great situation for Deshaun Watson at all. But just sign that deal, you know. He's a he's a top five young guy in this league, you know. Already a superstar, I I don't think the Texans are gonna part ways with him anytime soon. And I I think this frustration that he's feeling, you know, it's there, but I don't know if it's gonna be enough just yet to really have him uh, force his way out of that Texans organization. I'll say one more thing before we head into the games. Throwing the Texans job in there, so we'll include that job as well. Now that we know all the GM and head coaching vacancies, if you're a general manager, which is the number one? Which would be number one on your list? Which is the most attractive general manager job in your mind? Keep in mind, Denver actually the most got, Denver was a late ad. Denver was a late ad to that list, and we'll include Washington as well. Uh. Well, they just got their. They just got their their guy in, in, in GM. So I'm not really not really sure what, what what the question was, Alex. Sorry, what well I'm saying of all the GMs mm-hmm. of all the GM Who would it have been? Uh, Is that what you're saying? Vacancies. Of all the vacancies, GM vacancies. And we'll include the Texans for now. Saying like heading into the off this off season, of all the GM vacancies, which one would be most attractive on your list? Uh, and keep in mind keep okay. in mind Denver was a late add, along with, although Washington, may, Rivera's the acting GM, but it seems like they might want a, per, a permanent GM to go along with Rivera as the head coach. So, But we'll include, we'll include Houston for now, even though they do, they just filled that vacancy. Sorry, I just did not understand uh, the question at first. This is a, a tough one. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Jacksonville still. I think that you've just got uh, the picks, the money, really just to sculpt this team how you see fit. Um, you have really all the resources you could ask for um, for a GM. So I think that's my clear cut 
uh, number one? What say you, Alex, real quick? They have 11 picks in, the, in this upcoming draft. They, With certain roster construction, they could have upwards of $100 million in cap space. You get to pick your quarterback, whether that be Trevor Lawrence or whoever, at number one overall, and you get to pick your guys a head coach. It can't get much better in, when you're looking at a team that's really working from the ground up than the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then, Shai, same quickly, same question, but for the head coaching vacancies. Mm. That's, if I'm a head coach, picking where my destination might have been. Yeah, if you're making a list of all the head coaching vacancies, what's number one on your most attractive list? That That's another... This might be even a harder question. Because one could say Jacksonville again. <laughs> one could. But I'm actually going to go with the Chargers, Alex. We agree again. I, I would go with the Chargers, too. Wow. I probably think the Jaguars are a close second. But Chargers, you have a very good GM in place there with Tulas- Tom Telesco. You have your quarterback in Justin Herbert. You have a bunch of other really, really good pieces that I feel like haven't come together yet. So if you can install kind of your your system, not not so much from a schematic standpoint, but just from a culture standpoint, you can bring everyone together and kind of make one product and one team that can maximize its, its sum of its parts. So I guess that'll kind of close the book. For now, in the head coaching and GM roles, obviously, with all this heating up, we'll probably get back to it soon. So, Shy, let's turn to the wild card games now. What's up first? Yeah, we're just going to go in order of the schedule. Saturday, 1 p.m., we have the Colts traveling to Buffalo to take on the scorching hot Bills. Yeah, I got to go with the Bills. And you said it. They're scorching hot. Probably the hottest team in the NFL right now. Josh Allen is playing out of his mind. I think I saw that Diggs is possibly questionable for the game on Saturday. But if he if he has basically two working legs and two working arms, he's going to play. And you can say that I think about a lot of guys for the playoffs as you know as we go through all the games this Bills team they're just getting stronger and stronger as the season is co- is coming along offensively they've been very consistent all season Josh Allen as consistent as he's been all season he's still playing out of his mind and playing the best football of his season coming down the stretch Stefan Diggs I believe led the NFL in both yards and receptions he's cementing himself as one of the best receivers in the NFL, right up there with DeAndre Hopkins and Devontae Adams and Michael Thomas. And this Bills defense has gotten stronger as the year went on. And the defense that, you know, started off on the wrong foot was a bit of a disappointment. What we thought was going to be leading the team kind of took a back seat to the offense. And although the offense is still at the forefront because of how impressive it's been, this defense has really come along nicely, which I think you can really attribute to the great coaching of Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott. And offensively, obviously, Brian Dable is doing an incredible job in his own right. They're just a very obviously they have these wow plays and these great players all over the field, but they're also just so fundamentally sound which is, you know, a tribute to all their coaching, which is some of the best in the NFL. 
On the Colts side, though, I think they have, a, they have a chance to make this game close if they can run the football. And I think you, you obviously probably can say that about a lot of teams. But Jonathan Taylor, you you want to talk about someone who's playing his best football down this stretch and is scorching hot. Jonathan Taylor, the last few weeks, has put up huge games and has really been a leader on that Colts offense, especially from a rookie. It's been really impressive to watch. I get on the defensive side of the ball, you're going to have to limit Josh Allen. We all at this point, I don't think you'll be able to completely stop him. But this Colts defense has been very impressive this year, and you know by you know leaders of DeForest Buckner on the D line and Darius Leonard in the linebacking corps, they're going to have to limit Josh Allen. Preferably try to keep him inside the pocket, limit the big play. They have to limit the big play. Because when you have guys like, you know, on Buffalo's side, Isaiah McKenzie, John Brown, Stephon Diggs, the big play is always a big factor. Xavier Rhodes, he started off really hot, kind of cooled down the stretch, was still pretty good, but he's going to have a huge task going up against Stephon Diggs. So again, is proving Diggs is, he is one of the best receivers in the NFL at this time. Yeah, Alex, the Colts, you know, just based off their the Colts and the Bills' respective bodies of work the past couple of weeks, um, and really this whole season, you know, the name of the game for the Colts has been consistency. Really the name of the game for both of them. Because the Bills have, you know, for the most of the season, been the staple of consistency. You know, that offense has been potent. The You know, the defense maybe wasn't as consistent in the beginning of the year, but overall, over the last three weeks, they have been. The Colts, you really cannot say the same thing. You know, they they struggled, you know, even a little bit against Jacksonville. Obviously, the, you saw the complete collapse against Pittsburgh. They have had their issues with consistency this year. So, for that matter, they're going to have to do the adjusting in this one, based off their bodies of work. So, when I look at those... I, I have a question... For you, Shy, and then you can finish your point. Go ahead. At least to me, before Josh Allen really took off, and this was last season, when he was a good quarterback, could make plays with his legs, but wasn't a great quarterback, and they were mainly relying on the run game, creativity on offense, a big play now and then in their defense. That, to me, reminds me a little like what the Colts are now. Now, obviously, Phillip Rivers doesn't have the legs that Josh Allen does, and is much older than the Josh Allen and doesn't have, you know, doesn't make the same creative plays that Josh Allen did even last year. But to me, the Colts are a little like the Bills were last year in terms of we're leaning on the run, played great, fundamentally sound, fundamentally sound defense, and sprinkling in a couple of big plays to kind of take the team over the top and be able to squeeze out wins. Do you agree or am I way off here? I agree with everything except the quarterback. I think... No, the, the quarterback is different, but in terms of the way they won and around the scheme and their game plan, that's what I'm kind of comparing these teams to. No, I think that's an accurate comparison, but I think you're swapping out kind of the legs of Josh Allen for kind of the experience, and then, of course, for the experience and accuracy of Phillip Rivers. Now, obviously, Josh Allen has risen above and beyond all of that. Um, but as I was and saying... Phil Rivers obviously yeah. is not in his heyday anymore. Right, right. Noah does, does not have the same legs, not the same arm. Uh, I, I think the legs are actually pretty similar. 
Um, so as I was saying, the Colts are going to have to do the adjusting here. And I think defensively for them, the two keys in my mind are just doing what they've done. Um, one is going to be doing what they've done all year, and that's getting pressure with four guys. Led by DeForest Buckner, you have uh, D'Amico Autry there, Houston as well. Kamoko Ture, you know, got in the last couple of weeks. So that's going to be key, getting that pressure on Allen with those four guys because you cannot sacrifice the assets to blitz them. You just cannot. They have too many weapons in the secondary. What does worry me for the Bills is Stephon Diggs. If he's not 100% healthy, that could be big down the stretch. Yes, he'll play, but again, if he's not 100% healthy, he's the number one guy. He's a huge part of what makes his offense flow. And either way, I think the Colts need to be, if they're playing man coverage, they need to be bracketing him, doubling him. Zone, they're, you know, they, I expect him to play a lot of zone, which is smart. But again, there has to be two guys in the area of Stefan Diggs every snap. That is how defensively you're going to try to limit this potent Bills offense. And then offensively, you hit the nail on the head. They got to run the football. But in the end of the day, I'm going to go with the Bills. Too much firepower here on offense. And I just, I don't think the Colts can match it. And I guess time to wrap up this game. All, a lot of the talk will be on the on-field performance, the production, and the coaching. But I just want to take time and say, in 2018, Chris Ballard, the general manager of the Indianapolis Colts, won the Executive of the Year Award. And I think the Colts front office does an incredible job led by Ballard. Their assistant general manager, Ed Dodds, is in position to possibly get a GM job somewhere else. And yet, we also talk about Brandon Bean, the general manager of the Buffalo Bills, winning the Executive of the Year Award this year. So I think not only is it two great coaching staffs going at it, two fundamentally fundamentally sound football teams going at it, but it's two of the best front offices going at it, two of the best teams, two of the best front offices that are able to put a good team together, be able to collect talent, collect the right pieces, complement each position group, and be able to put a winning product on the field. So I just wanted to shout out to both front offices that are two of the best in the NFL. Definitely. You're right about that. We're both taking the bills on this one, but we do expect a competitive game. And I, for one, you know, I might be surprised, but not, you know, shook, you know, in the water if, if, if the Colts do get an upset here. I think the Colts are going to, if they can keep this game close late, that's, I think, where we could maybe see the experience of a Philip Rivers or the ability to control the clock. They can't, the Colts cannot let this game get ahead of them by the second quarter or by halftime. You're exactly right. You need to utilize that experience with Rivers. Now, run, the let's, ball, yeah. run the ball, control time of possession, control the clock. Now let's move on to the second wildcard game of Saturday football. The Los Angeles Rams with a questionable Jared Goff. That report coming in um, just moments ago. uh, Taking on the Seattle Seahawks. Well, moments ago, actually seconds before we 
started recording this podcast, the Rams officially activated Andrew Whitworth off IR. That obviously bodes well for his availability come Saturday. Cooper Cup, Michael Brockers both activated off the reserve COVID list. They should be good to go come Saturday. And according to Robert Woods, who was out there obviously practicing, Goff was slinging it pretty well. Now, obviously, that's in practice, and we'll see how it is in Seattle when you have, you know, 300-pounders trying to tackle you with all their might. I got Seattle winning, and I think I would have Seattle winning even if Goff was healthy, but Goff's thumb really does concern me. And we've seen, and I talk, when we talked about it on the postseason preview when we just went through all the teams, the Rams' defense shut down Seattle for the better part of both their regular season matchups. The only thing is, for the most part, Seattle kind of shut down this Rams' offense as well. You know, for a, for two teams that have such high-powered offenses, the defenses were really the ones that shine when these two teams met twice in the regular season. Seattle's defense is playing some of its best football. They're not the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're not... The, they're not the Rams. The Rams have the better defense, but this Seahawks defense to go along with, obviously, the explosive offense led by the veteran quarterback in Russell Wilson, and then could really make the Seahawks a potent team as you know, it was always, you know, Seattle's to put up 35-plus points in order to win. It seems like, yes, you know, Seattle might not get by with 17 points, but can they get by with 28 instead of 38 I think so at this point, depending on who they face. So I think obviously that's a real big reason for encouragement and optimism if you are a Seahawks fan. If you're a Rams fan, you have to rely on that defense like you've done all year. So I do think this defense can wreak havoc on Seattle. Seattle does not have the strongest offensive line. And we've seen, you know, for the most part, Jalen Ramsey's done a pretty good job on DK Madcalf and you know, this Rams secondary, I think Darius Williams on the other side has been very good for them all season long. So this Rams defense has been one of the best in the NFL. I just don't know if they're going to be able to score enough points against a defense that, again, isn't great, but has been showing significant strides and has been proving each and every week. And you really don't know what you're going to get at the quarterback position with Jared Goff. Out in the cold in Seattle, I just don't know how that thumb and really the overall his overall throwing motion will respond. And that that's a big reason for concern. And I think it'll still be a tight battle. It's a division battle. But there's just too much of a question mark with Goff's thumb. And I think, you know, Goff isn't the most consistent quarterback to begin with. Now you factor in, you know, surgery on that thumb that usually takes a lot longer than a week and a half to two weeks to recover from. That's just too big of a hump that I think the Rams will not be able to get over. I absolutely agree, Alex. Um, Jared Goff's thumb is really, you know, again, the storyline of this one. I think this is a game where I could have picked an upset here if if Goff was healthy. Um, I'm going to say that. But now I just don't feel comfortable with that. Um, I, I, Yeah, practice is one thing. But when you have, you know, the Seattle defense, which has played really good football, as you said, these last few weeks, which is what you want to see, going into the postseason, you can't feel good about where the Rams are offensively. And if the Rams are going to win this game, it's going to be the defensive line. 
you know, they're going to have to completely take over this game. You mentioned, you know, activating guys like Brockers coming back in. That's going to help. And they're just going to need to take advantage of this of this Seattle offensive line. You know, no room to run the ball. Make Wilson just completely take over this game, which he can do. Um, but if they can get Russell Wilson on his back, constantly feeling pressure, they have a chance. But when all is said and all is done, Russell Wilson is going to get his. And it doesn't really matter... You know, in the playoffs, it doesn't really matter what what the defensive line is to me. Uh, Russell Wilson's going to get his, you know, and I don't think that Jared Goff and this Rams offense is going to be able to match it. So I'm in that vein, I'm going to pick Seattle. Yeah, and also I think if this game is close, and both defenses, specifically the Rams, are able to keep this game close, I trust Russell Wilson more than I do Jared Goff, even a healthy Jared Goff. If both quarterbacks are completely healthy which Goff is not, I still trust Russell Wilson to make a play when Seattle needs it most. And some of that's you know veteran leadership, some of that's playoff experience. He's been in big games before. He's led big drives before. He has more talent around him than he has the last few years. I think if this game is close, I trust Russell Wilson to make a play, maybe more than anyone on that Rams team, even including Aaron Donald. Yeah, I think we pretty much agree with our analysis on that game. Now let's move on to the prime time game where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will travel to Washington, where we are recording this podcast, um, to take on... D.C., to be more specific. D.C., right. To... uh, Take on the Washington. So, sorry, football. Seahawks fans. We're not recording it. We're not recording it in uh, Seattle. No, unfortunately not. Um, so, what what do you what would say you on this matchup? We've texted on this a bunch of times, especially living in DC. We have a lot of friends who are fans of the Washington football team, and I know at least I've talked with them on numerous occasions about this upcoming game. And I know you think this game can be over after the first quarter. If I am, if I understand you, our conversations correctly, and I'm not ready to go that far. I think Washington could put up a fight because of that defensive line, and obviously that defense, specifically the defensive line, has carried them to this point. But this reminds me a lot of the New York Giants teams that beat the Patriots twice in the Super Bowl, but also beat Aaron Rodgers when the Packers went 15 and one. We've seen explosive offenses, great quarterbacks. How do you take them down? You keep them within the pocket, and you get constant pressure on the quarterback from start to finish. Some of it will end in sacks. Some of it will not. But even the if you can get pressure on early, even if they don't end in sacks, that will force Tampa Bay to maybe have to adjust their game plan, get the ball out quicker. And I'm sure they're already going to come out with a you know quick passing game, but they're also going to want to take shots down the field. We'll see if Mike Evans plays. Again, I'd be surprised if he doesn't play. I know today, which is Tampa's last day of a full practice before their game, is Mike Evans' first day of practice. But he, I expect Evans to play even if he's not fully healthy. So I do think Tampa wins. I am picking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 
and mainly because Alex Smith does does not look like the same guy he was before the 17 surgeries and all the injuries. And even earlier in the season, he was at least able to make some plays. That calf injury, I think, really took a toll on his throwing motion. We'll see how much a week makes, you know, a difference a week makes. But he is not, against Philly, he was not able to step into his throws. And although we're, people have raved all week, and deservedly so, about that Washington defensive line, the Tampa defensive line, led by Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaquille Barrett, they are not a joke either. They can get pressure on the quarterbacks. Levante David and Devin White are, in my mind, the best linebacker duo in the NFL. This Tampa defense, especially the front seven, can get after the quarterback too. They can make plays at or behind the line of scrimmage. And I think that calf, we're really going to see it tested early on. As against Philly, it was pretty early on when we knew that Alex Smith wasn't 100%. Like that game, I think we're going to know early on what kind of, how healthy is Alex Smith? How healthy is that calf? So I do think Tampa wins. But I do think Washington, with that defense, with that defensive line getting pressure on Brady, which has been Tom Brady's Achilles heel when they've lost big games in the past, will be able to keep this game close and at least provide that Washington offense an opportunity to take advantage and maybe pull off an upset win. I just don't know if Alex Smith has it in him at this point in his career, especially with the calf injury. In my mind, he's probably still, it's probably still bugging him at least a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I think this game will be over in the first quarter, but I think it can get out of hand. And I think, yes, this Washington football team defensive front can worry the Tampa Bay Bucks, And I, you know, and it should. It should, because, you know, that's how you beat Brady. You get pressure with those four guys, with that front. But... With that being said, the Tampa Bay Bucks, like, I feel like we're forgetting. They've got a solid offensive line that's played well all year. And I don't think we should just assume that, you know, although, you know, Chase Young and those guys are good, they're going to go running over, you know, sacking Tom Brady every third snap. That's not going to happen. And, you know, I don't think, I think we got to put that into perspective. And I think Tom Brady knows who he's going up against. You know, he's done this before. And I think he's going to be able to diagnose, you know, the secondary, which isn't the strong part of this Washington football team defense. And he's going to be able to bring in some of that, you know, that style of play with the short pass that he used in New England. Although it's not what he's accustomed to in Bruce Arians' scheme, I think that will help him getting the ball out quickly a little bit more, you know, to help with that. And then when it's time taking those shots down the field, because I don't think the guys, you know, although Kendall Fuller, you know, Fabian Moreau, you know, Ronald Darby, pleasant surprise, but they're not, they, 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 they don't match up with Chris Godwin, even when Mike Evans may not be 100%, but still Gronkowski, AB, they're, they're tiers. There are multiple tiers above those guys in my mind um, in, in matching up. So I think... If this this Tampa Bay offense is going to succeed, they're going to do well. Um, I think it could be close if if this um, Washington football team front can consistently get pressure. But my bet 
is not is that they will not be able to do so. I think if Fuller plays Evans, and if Evans isn't 100%, I could see advantage Fuller. He he has proven he is one of the better cornerbacks. I know you're giving me a look right now. Well, Evans doesn't usually play in the slot, Alex, and Fuller does. So I would expect Fuller to match up on a guy like A.B. He's played mainly in the slot, you know, uh, uh, with this Tampa team. He's not really used to doing that. He didn't do that before he came to Tampa. But that seems like where he's operating from now. Even so, I could see whether... Me, we'll see what that, it depends what Antonio Brown we got. I mean, last week he goes for 11 catches, what, 138 yards, multiple scores. But I could see, even if he were to face a Chris Godwin, I think it could be very close. The bigger concern is, yeah, they have Evans and Godwin and Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski. And, oh, yeah, the running game, although I do think Washington – might stuff it for the most part. The running game has shown it can thrive at some points throughout the season. So I, the cons- the secondary is definitely a concern, but I do think full. I I'm not as concerned about Fuller's matchup as I am for the rest of this second secondary. No, and also you just see the chemist. <clears throat> excuse me, the chemistry is has really perked up lately. As I said, Antonio Brown. You know, early on was getting what one, two catches a game. All of a sudden, and I know it's maybe because the absence of Mike Evans was very, you know, all of a sudden, and he missed the majority of the game last week. But Antonio Brown goes for eleven catches, well over a hundred yards, two touchdowns. Godwin has picked it up as late since you know finally starting to hit the ground running and getting healthy. And Mike Evans, the last few weeks when he has been healthy, has been one of the best receivers in the NFL. So I think. A big reason why I do think Tampa ultimately does pull out a win here is just because, you know, we've seen the progress from week one with against the Saints and even their other matchup against the Saints until now. Brady has his full cast of weapons. They're on the same page. The chemistry is at its highest it's been all year long. And that's what we saw in New England. A big reason why Brady was as good as he was is because when he had guys like Randy Moss and Wes Welker and Gronk, and Julian Edelman, it's because they were always on the same page. They were always able to pick apart defenses because they always found the soft spot. They always found the right spot on the field to pick up a third and eight by gaining nine or ten yards. And I think we're starting to see that more with these Tampa Bay receivers as they grow more and more accustomed to what Brady likes and Brady's growing accustomed to their to the receiver style of play as well. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, the other side of the ball... I just don't see how the Washington football team is going to move the ball consistently. And Double moves. They got they got to they got to burn and hit Carlton Davis and Jamal Dean with double moves. It's worked multiple times and these corners have shown talent for Tampa, but they've really struggled staying disciplined and preventing the big play uh when a receiver goes with a double move. So, Sims Terry McLaurin, who he's battling his own ankle injury. Yeah, I was about to say. Do you really have... think he's 100% for this game, Alex? I don't, but, I mean, he was okay against Philly. And he's going to play, obviously, this week. But you got to hit him with double moves. So the, I think that's the only way you'll be able to get big chunk plays down the field. And we haven't really the... seen that from Alex Smith, especially, you know, with that calf injury you know as you said it kind of looks like that flowing motion has been 
you know, altered that he's having struggled, uh, having, you know, he's struggled driving he that football. Right now. He is struggling. This, you know, they've gone with a lot of, you know, short passes to McKissick and Gibson. And the thing is, un- like, as I said, Levante David and Devin White are probably the best linebacker duo they are in my mind in the NFL. They typically wrap up when they have a chance in an open field tackle. So, look, could they make a miss? And could Devin White and Levante David have the worst games of the season? Of course it could happen, but you can't bank on it. Maybe on, maybe it's unlike some other linebacking tandems in the league that Washington has faced over these last few weeks. Yeah, so we're both going, you know, with Tampa in this one. I'm a little more confident, I guess, than you are, but we'll see how it plays out Saturday. It's, play- it's prime playoff time. football. Anything can happen. Of course. Any given Saturday now, I guess. Uh, any given Saturday, but I guess now we can go to any given Sunday as we're hitting the Sunday slate of games. Right. Let's go to probably the best matchup, we both think so, of this wild card weekend. The Baltimore Ravens at the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, this is the game where whether the Titans win or the Ravens win, you can't really call it an upset. <laughs> I'm going to go with Baltimore. And I've been really flip-flopping all week long. But I'm just going to go with Baltimore. And I think, again, it's mainly because right now the Ravens, in my mind, are playing better overall football. Now, I know the Ravens' schedule has has also soft, you know, it's been a little you know, soft up, softened up these last few weeks. But that Titans that time, defense, the offense is playing great. You know, we saw against Houston putting up over 40 points. Tannehill looked great. Henry's looked incredible. But that defense, Deshaun Watson's a great quarterback. But 38 points, they allowed 40 to get at the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. These are better offenses than maybe Baltimore's faced the last few weeks. But Tennessee, Tennessee defense all year has really struggled. And I just think Lamar Jackson, even if, again, the competition wasn't the elite of the elite, even having big games against lesser competition still can strike confidence in a player. Lamar Jackson, he's getting in a groove, and if you can get in a groove and ride some momentum, even if you started maybe your winning streak against a lesser team, if you can ride the momentum, you can beat a much stronger team. So that's kind of how I see Baltimore right now. Now, I'm not saying Tennessee's much stronger than Baltimore, but I'm saying you know Tennessee's much stronger than Cincinnati, who Baltimore closed the season against, although Cincinnati did beat Tennessee. <laughs> but that that's besides the point. I'm just going with the team that, in my mind, is playing better group football right now, and I just think offensively and more specifically defensively, the Ravens are putting together – putting together a more complete game of football and a better overall product than the Titans are. I think you're right with those points. But I think the Tennessee Titans match up well against the Baltimore Ravens. I don't think the Tennessee Tennessee Titans played great football, close the season out. It's not a secret. But I'm going to go the Titans to win this game. And... You know, it's because of really several reasons. But, you know, the main, you know, the main one on their side offensively is that, you know, big number 22, Derrick Henry. 
they the Ravens have struggled. And I mean struggled to get him on the ground, has struggled to contain him. And it's been a theme, you know, through the last, what, three games that they've played. We saw it in the playoffs in the divisional where, where the Titans got the upset. We saw it, you know, even that in that season before, I believe, Tennessee won. And, you know, I they've just seemed to have, I don't want to say they have Baltimore's number, but it's feeling like they know how the Ravens operate and they can exploit it on both, they exploit their matchups on both sides of the ball. Simple as that. It's really good coaching. And I think the weakness in this Baltimore defense is running the ball, is running on them. And that's what t- Tennessee is going to do. And they're going to dominate, you know, the time of possession. And they're going to, you know, keep that offense off the field from doing damage to their defense. And then, you know, you're probably thinking, yeah, Baltimore Ravens have a better defense. You know, Shai, why are you, you know, why do you think Tennessee Titans have a, have a prayer of stopping them? I think when you look at Baltimore, uh, and teams that have had success against them, I don't think it's necessarily the team that has the law that that's the most talented. Yeah, we've seen Pittsburgh have their way with Lamar, you know, but we also see Kansas City, who is a respectable defense, but you know, not super talented, you know, be able to get things going against him and, and really contain that that Ravens offense. So I think that it's about coaching. Mike Vrabel has shown that the recipe for, for stopping Lamar and doing that, and I, I don't see any reason why they'll, why they'll do it again. I'll believe in, in them when they show they can win in the playoffs, Alex. So do you think teams can run on the Steelers? I think teams can run on the Steelers. I think that's the because weakness. I just looked at because I'm looking right They're now. They're 13th in the, the league. Have a top, the Ravens have a top 10 run defense. I understand that. So I understand. That. I understand. Like, maybe it is like the weakness, but they're still a very overall a very good running defense team. Defensive team. You know, they're uh, they're eighth overall. You know, they're above they're above the Steelers, who I think. I know. I feel like we praise a lot for their ability to, for the most part, bottle up the run. I think. Uh, I'll I, also say, Shaw, you said that you think Baltimore's going to have a hard time containing Derrick Henry. I think ten- I don't know if Tennessee will be able to contain Lamar Jackson. Now, the Ravens have to take a lead. The Ravens have to get up early because if they don't, we saw last year Tennessee will have their way. So the Ravens do have to grab an early lead. But if they are able to grab not even a gigantic early lead, even a seven nothing, ten three early lead, I don't think Tennessee will be able to, you know, guard against Lamar, contain Lamar Jackson, and against this bad I know Alex, Ravens, we've seen him do it over and over and over again, Alex. I mean at this I point it's, it's a, a much but you it's a much different team. This team is playing much better than it did earlier this year. That's very true, but you could argue that the in the playoffs the Ravens were a better team. I think they were. They so were playing no, better football a, last year. Fair, but that was also a year ago. Okay, but you know, do you know how much? Do you know how much things can we change? Saw it in this, a year? this season, Tennessee did. Not, the San Francisco 49ers destroyed everyone in their path to going to the Super Bowl, and then now they I got decimated they saw, by injuries, Alex. I know, but st- they're still sitting at home. A lot can change in a year, shy. 
a lot. They're talking about injuries with something that has the that teams have no control over. This is coaching. That's how you defend Lamar. It's all about the coaching. Mike Rabel's shown he can do it, and 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 I think I think they will again. You seem what do you say? Last year's Titans defense was much better, though. I don't know if it was a much much better. Statistically, it was, and talent wise, I think it may maybe may not be. There's a debate there, but I, I I don't think it's to the point where you're like, you know, where you're shaking in your boots if you're a Tennessee Titans fan. Again, I think it's about the coaching. I don't think it's about the the the, the, the overwhelming talent. Ravens have some of the best coaching in the NFL. I'm aware of that, and they still uh, haven't. They still haven't won in the playoffs with Lamar. They still haven't beaten Tennessee. All right, I'm going with what the with what I've seen in the last few weeks. I'm going with the hotter team because even last year, with the Ravens getting the bye, not having played in a while, not Lamar, I believe hadn't played in about two or three weeks because he also didn't play Week 17 last year. The Ravens are, I feel like, are riding more momentum. The Titans rode momentum last year we seem to their to be game def- against Baltimore seem- and beat them. And right now, Baltimore's riding that very similar momentum. We seem to be both very strongly defending our points for game for games that we are supposedly not very confident in our picks. But we'll have to see oh, yeah. how this I'm plays like 50, out. I'm 50-50 on this, by the way. I could wake up on Saturday or Sunday morning and you know, text Shy and say, maybe the Titans are going to win. I don't know how I'll feel five minutes before kickoff, to be honest. You're awfully passionate. You're awfully passionate. I think I we, just think we should be giving the Ravens a little more credit than... I, I, look, I think the Ravens can definitely win this game, but I, I just, I'm leaning with Tennessee because of those reasons. And that's how I feel, but the exact opposite. All right. Well, agree to disagree there. You got some... Some solid argumentation. You can make up uh, your mind, of course. Which is probably good, because I don't think we're going to have much arguing the next two games. Yes. Now, let's go to second game on Sunday. It is the Bears going to New Orleans to take on the Saints. So, I got the Saints. And I got the Saints win this game, and... They're getting Kamara back. They're getting Thomas back. They're getting healthy. And we saw, like, I I think I may have picked the Bears actually the last time these two teams played, and that was in Chicago. And had this game been played in Chicago, I actually think it may have been a bit of a toss-up, to be honest with you. And, again, we talked on the postseason preview podcast. It's going to – the Bears have to maximize the legs of Mitchell Trubisky, a weapon – that they didn't have when they started Nick Foles against the Saints team in the middle of this past season. I'm I'm still going with the Saints. And it's just more because I, the, this team is much different. You know, they become more balanced, which I think is obviously a great thing. But this team just plays better in the Superdome. This, play, this team plays better in the Superdome. I know some of their playoff luck hasn't been great, but I just it's hard for me to see the Bears being able to keep up with the Saints offense now that Kamara is back, now that Michael Thomas should be back. You know, you, I know before the podcast we were talking about this game, and you said that you know the Bears, you know, could they? Do you think they might be able to really collapse the pocket? Kind of like, except opposite of what we were talking about in the Bucks 
Washington game, you were praising the Bucks offensive line. I'm going to go ahead and praise the Saints offensive line. The Saints have one of the best offensive lines in football, and I think they're going to give Drew Brees the time he needs. And if they don't, guess what? They'll just do a bunch of short passes to Alvin Kamara, who's going to make a bunch of people miss, pick up first downs, and they're just going to slowly move the chains. That's what they've been able to do all year, and and they've been able to put up points on a pretty consistent rate. This Bears team, although it's looked good, you know, the last few weeks, we saw against the Packers team, although the Bears, you know, made a run for the Packers' money, they fell short. They fell short, and it was because late in the game, they just couldn't keep up with Aaron Rodgers, and Trubisky couldn't make the plays that were out there to make. And I think that's kind of what it's going to come down to. I don't think, you know, the Saints defense, which has been very good, I think is going to create havoc on Trubisky. And I, it's just tough for me to see the Bears being able to put up the necessary points that it will take to be to beat the Saints offense that maybe isn't as explosive as it once was when Drew Brees was the quarterback. But it's still very good, and it still has the necessary playmakers that can get big chunk plays, as we've seen guys like Jared Cook and Emmanuel Sanders becoming bigger parts of the offense and growing better accustomed and more accustomed to Drew Brees and that offense. I like the Saints here. Yeah, I think the Saints are better in every single facet um, of a football team. And I, the Bears' strength is defense, but you could still make the case the Saints have the better defense. Exactly, exactly. I think they do. Um, what I was saying before is I think this has the potential to be a big upset, but I don't think it will. I think, yeah, if the Bears, you know, if they can, if they can dominate the line of scrimmage on both ends, which is a big if against, you know, the Saints' offensive line— um, and the Saints' defensive line, it's, you know, then they had a shot. But even then, I don't even know if they can. You mentioned they can throw short passes to Alvin Kamara. You know, they can, you know, the the Saints have a solid secondary as well. And Mitch Trubisky has shown he has been incompetent at making some of these throws. So, again, I wouldn't be super shocked if the Bears make this game interesting. But again, the Saints are better in every way, um, including coaching, and I think it's going to show. So, moving on now to the last Sunday night game. Um, This, you know, this game came off, you know, the news has maybe been talked about the most this week because of the news of, you know, Kevin Stefanski um, being out with COVID as well as uh, guard Joe Batonio. It's, of course, Browns at Hodge, Steelers. I believe, is also out. Yes. Um, now, the Steelers are also missing Joe Hayden, I believe, for this yes, game. Yes, the Steelers are missing Joe Hayden, but they do get back Titan Eric Ebron for this game. So, what say you on this uh, maybe big brother, little brother matchup? Yeah, I think this this might be the Washington-Tampa game in reverse, though. I think I'm maybe more confident than you are based on, you know, things we've, think, you know, previous talks we've had. I like Pittsburgh, and this is, you know, Steelers beat the Browns 30-7, to and just last week, you know, earlier in the year, and just last week, it came down to a two-point conversion with the Browns prevailing 24-22, when a whole host of Steelers missed, you know, that game due to rest and getting healthy for this game. So, you know, I feel like 
Cleveland has really struggled in Pittsburgh. I mean, they've struggled in a lot of places the last two decades. But I just think, you know, welcome back to the playoffs for Cleveland. But it's going to be, I think, a very rude awakening coming into this game on, you know, Sunday, Monday. I like Pittsburgh to win, and I I thought Pittsburgh would be able to handle business, you know, by a couple of scores. Now, with all of what's going on, you know, Stefanski obviously can't coach. They're missing one of their best guard or the rest offensive linemen, and but you know, and Joel Benetino, excuse me. And I just don't know if you know the Browns can make the recovery, especially when because of all these positive cases, they've had to shut down the facility. They haven't been able to get the necessary practice time or as much practice time as Pittsburgh has gotten. And I just think it's going to be really hard for Cleveland to, who's already in a bit of a hole just in terms of talent, for Cleveland to overcome everything. If they do, I mean, that would be a great story. And, you know, maybe it's all, maybe it's all heading in that direction. But I just have a very hard time seeing Cleveland overcome everything and pulling off what I already, what I already thought was going was going to have to be a pretty sizable upset over their division rival Steelers. Yeah, like the first thing that comes into my mind now, this Pittsburgh team is rested, you know. And again, you mentioned it was a really close game with Mason Rudolph at the helm and missing a host of guys. And what comes to mind for me is the the game, I don't remember what the who the opponent was who Pittsburgh was playing, but Ben Roethlisberger was a close contact of someone who got COVID. It was really early in the week, so he didn't make the game. But he couldn't practice. He couldn't practice the whole week. And I think he had one of his best games of the season. And that's, I think, very interesting to see how much that kind of rest um, on, you know, on, this, on a 38-year-old QB and how, the, how, how, that much, how, imp- how impactful that can be. Um, so I think... Ben Roethlisberger, you could see him feeling rejuvenated, refreshed. We saw those Pittsburgh receivers. Yes, Denzel Ward is back for this game, but they really had their way against, you know, the Browns defensive backs. There's not, you know, one receiver. They have a Chase Claypool. They have a Deontay Johnson. They have a James Washington. Now they have an Eric Ebron back. Against the secondary, but it's not that strong, Pittsburgh should be able to move the ball. Uh, but I think Cleveland can keep it close with that run game. But ultimately, what's going to separate this game from being a blowout, potentially, in the Steelers' favor, or a close, competitive AFC North game, is going to be, you know, can this undermanned, you know, missing Joel Batonio, this Browns offensive line, block, you know, one of the best defensive lines in football? And, you know, remember, when they, they played in week, I believe in week six, and... The Steelers' D-line had a field day. You know, they hit Baker Mayfield all over. Yes, he had some cracked ribs, I believe, that game. Um, but they were getting him almost every snap, it felt like. Um, but they did have a Bud Dupree back then. And now there's no Joe Batonio this game. So I think if the Steelers are able to consistently get pressure on Mayfield, this game is could be a runaway. If not, I think we could be talking about a more interesting game, but either way, I do have my Pittsburgh Steelers advancing to the divisional round. Yeah, and I guess kind of last thought on this on this game before we wrap up the entire podcast. I don't think Pittsburgh will need a dominating run game to win this game, but this would be a good game to get that going. 
Because if they, you know, this is a team that I think has aspirations past just winning one playoff game. I think this team probably views itself among the elite in the AFC. This team's goals are probably an AFC championship game, anywhere from an AFC championship game to a Super Bowl championship. And if they're going to get that far, they're going to have to establish a, maybe not even a number one best running game in the NFL, but at least a respectable game, a, a respectable running game, a running a running game that can open up deep deep shots to Deontay Johnson, to Chase Claypool. If they can't get, and I think this might be the good a good test for that defense, or excuse me, for that running game to get going. I think the the die maybe on the table in terms of the Steelers' running game. I don't see it getting much better. Again, I don't think they need to run the ball effectively to win this game, but it's their Achilles heel by far, no question. And when you go up a te- against a team, this is a, the Browns team that I said was the weakest coming into this AFC uh, postseason. They're they're they could be facing the Bills or even you know, you know even the team like the Titans or the Ravens come next week if they win. They're going to need a run game. They're going to need to be able to convert third and twos, third and ones, you know, on the goal line, on with the ground. They cannot throw it, you know, in those situations. They need to be able to run the ball. And I think that could come up costly there. Should they try to establish things? I would love them to. Do I think it will happen? I, again, I think the die are on the table for that. I don't they will so. have to run the ball effectively against the Bills because if the Steelers and Bills both win, that'll be the matchup. We saw Roethlisberger really struggle against a Bills secondary that started off slow but has really gotten going. And also, that's that's that was our main, uh, you know, goal. Or I could, you know, that was their key for Indianapolis. They have to establish the run. So, shy before we completely finish up on the wild card edition of nfl game time podcast do you have any last thoughts on any of the games this week any maybe of the future postseason games maybe some of the uh you know some of the uh, head coaching or gm carousel uh, moves um i'm just excited i'm excited you know to get started with this super wild card weekend and you know, I think we're going to see some great football. Can't wait as well. Thank you all for joining us on another edition of NFL Game Time Pad Podcast. We'll see you next week for our divisional round preview. See you next time on NFL Game Time Podcast.